This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. Here at At The Table Podcast, our goal is to break down biblical topics, make scripture easy to understand, and to glorify God and His Word. We pray this content edifies, challenges, and blesses you. So without further ado, sit back and join us at the table. Welcome to another episode of At the Table Podcast. This is, as always, your tra- your host Trey. Your, your Trey. This is Trey. This your is host. your Trey. Your host. This is your Trey. No, this <laughs> is your host Trey, <laughs> and I'm here as always with my two co-hosts. Why do I just feel like you painted yourself like the Miracle Child from King of Dreams? You are the Miracle Child. You are the best. You shine the brightest. <laughs> I, I would be kind of mad why, if my why, dad saying that about my. Why can't I go be with him? But Joseph, you're the miracle child. <laughs> my dad treated my brother that way. You've got to be joking. <laughs> dad was an equitous father. <laughs> Everyone got equal beatings. <laughs> Whoa, dude. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Gosh, nah. well, I'm not kidding. But, uh, anyway, how's everybody doing? I gave him. Not the beating that he deserved, <laughs> but the one that he needed. <laughs> <laughs> you seen that spoof? It's yeah. it's horrible, honestly. It's really rough. I just had two glasses of cookie <laughs> cherry, which is a fortified wine. <laughs> you wanted me here. I am. <laughs> I didn't want you. I have no idea who you are. You're garbage who kills people for money. No, I wiggles. Garbage is a clown that works the east side of Gotham. <laughs> Uh, we just jumped like three movies. Yeah, and then two. The point is, is Trey saying hello, hi from us too. We had a good dad. Those spoofs are inappropriate. Don't watch them. You know what? We we had some cookies recently from Creek's uh, wife's baby shower. Mm. They were fire. Appreciate the. Hey, they're so dope. They're illegal in fifty five states. Fifty five. Okay. Okay. No, it's going good. It's going good. It's been a, a week of eating a lot of food, doing some good hunting. What you guys did? You went to the old Thanksgiving? Mm. Mm. Thanksgiving. You're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been good. How about you guys? Are you guys doing good? Yeah, dude. I it was, I had a good Thanksgiving. Spent it with some church family up mm. here and some real family. Um, but the food... Excellent. Excellent. Even like yesterday, I ate, my wife made uh, ham and beans with a ham bone with uh, jalapeno cornbread casserole. Oh. Uh, over the top. You just crunch it down Ooh, in there. Ooh, that make a fat boy happy. Dude, it will. Dude, I'm grateful to be, let me just say this. I'm not going to try to make a sweeping generalization, okay? I mean, I know that there's exceptions to every rule. But being raised Poe, you like a lot of stuff. Yeah. And for whatever reason, like to me, jalapeno cornbread casserole, I'm struggling to find too many things I want to eat more than that right now. Man. Especially like today, it's cold and drizzly. 
Nice bowl of ramen noodles to soak it in, dude. Dude. Come on. To soak it in. Soak it in, yeah. Soak what in? The cornbread. The oh, no, dog. You put it in the ham and beans, dog. Well, that'd be better, but if you don't got <laughs> ham and beans. If you don't got ham and beans, you can use some chicken-flavored ramen. Oh. Delicious. Yeah, that is poor. I eat that <laughs> several yeah. times. I've risen week. above the, the poverty. It's by choice at this point. They're good. <laughs> You throw you throw a stick at well not a whole stick. You eat your ramen with your pinky up. That's right. <laughs> I get that expensive ramen, the teriyaki. Dude. I bet you main. do. That bangs hard, bro. You're the rich man. I'm not the rich man, dude. Just remember it's easier for me to get to heaven. Wow. You just said so. Keep working your way there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Keep keep uh, earning it. Where do we get off? Thinking we could set ourselves free. Yeah. It's always been the blood of Jesus. It's still Jesus. You think you're going to dig yourself out? No! (laughs) That's the opposite of the gospel! This brother yells at our audience every podcast. Dude, honestly, that I haven't, I'm not a fan of a bunch of his sermons, but that was fire. Oh, yeah. Dude, I named my son after him, bro. <laughs> I realize who Barabbas. It takes really a special is. kind of audience. It's me. It's me. It's you <laughs> <laughs> to enjoy this kind of material every week, man. Yeah. Hey, you know they hate us because they ain't us. We could be one of those really nasty comedy podcasts. Nah, nah them are nasty, nah, bro. Yeah. Mm. Humor does. Don't happen. just yeah. if you're on Spotify, just don't. Look at any other podcast except Christian podcast. Dude, I seen a video of For real. my wife's aunt pushing her grandson in a swing, a rope swing on a tree, and the rope like came undone. Kid hit the ground tragically. It's like in a, I told him, send that to America's funniest home videos, guaranteeing you're in the Dude. top twelve. Nope, check this out. The mom, Savannah's cousin, actually tagged AFV Did they on. Get- a AFHV on uh, Instagram with that video, like to enter it in. So they're going like, to get it? I don't know. I hope. Man, you know what happened Thanksgiving? That's good humor was so the point. I'm walking out the door to go help carry in stuff here at the church. You dropped the turkey. No, I did not. There's a brick that's used to hold open the back door. <laughs> I walked out the, the back of the church, I did not see this, this brick, going. and I, I'm in Hey Dudes. I freaking kicked this brick like oh. four feet across the ground. So hard, I split my big toenail down the wow, middle. Wow, I took my... Wow, <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> whatever I do, whenever I took my shoe and my sock off, it was just blood all over my toe. And then oh, after good. that, my oldest daughter, who's 12 years old, and my niece, who's 14, like, my niece come up and tried to wrestle with me, so I put her in a headlock, right? And I'm about to pound on her dum-dum. <laughs> and my daughter comes up out of nowhere and Superman punches me right in the kidney. Like, hard enough, I felt a shock go through my groin, and I thought, this is going to change the color hit. of my urine. <laughs> like, this is not good. <laughs> Dude, you were just like... <laughs> Dude, it was, I got so mad that I wanted to turn around and immediately respond, but God got a hold of me, and I did not do so. Man, your Thanksgiving sounded pretty rough, dude. There was a 10-minute little window there. Last night, my dog, we had a later Thanksgiving. My dog uh, got into the turkey or got up and knocked a bunch of stuff over. And, yeah, the Lord got a hold of me just in time for her safety. 
She was at my parents' house, knocked a bunch of glasses over. Yeah, it made me so mad. Dude, I we went hunting last night for deal, and like <laughs> we freaking took a hard north wind for like three and a half hours. <laughs> Four probably. I was freaking shaking. <laughs> he brought me <laughs> that song, "Hold Me Jesus," because I'm shaking like a leaf. Dude, yeah, I was like <laughs> trying. I was like trying. This is how bad it was, right? He tried to cuddle me. No, 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 no. Wow. <laughs> just wow. That. No, the, so the backpack that we carry this stuff out with, I'm like sitting beside me as a windbreak so that the wind doesn't like blow up my jacket. And I'm just sitting there like trying to stick my, I have a giant nose, dude, trying to stick this dude <laughs> down in the jacket to breathe some warm air into my jacket to stay warm. The point is it was cold. We've seen a lot of deer. We didn't shoot any though. And yeah, it was actually a really good night, but it was, it was super cold. Good night, yeah. Poor planning on my part. I should have rocked them bibs. It was a mistake. I brought my bibs and then didn't wear them. Dude, it seemed like the wind just wasn't that intense. You get out there on that open During Kansas prairie and it just beats your dumb Dude, dumb no in. tree cover. It just it was like a gully. It was all funneled right at my nose. I just getting hammered. Yeah, you were shaking. But my eyes were watering if I looked in, in the direction straight to the north for too long. My eyes were watering. That wind was hard. You know, we may be a Bible podcast, but we were also a hunting podcast. Yeah. We give a little hunt breakdowns about every episode. I mean, Creek's got freaking full camo out. I got full camo out. This got face paint on. I got face paint on. Both of them, yeah. So He's painted up like a clown. I got some camo on, just not, not all the way. You got a Duck Commander hoodie right there. Come on. Chumma on. Come on, somebody. Chumma on. Well, what's at the table? Why do you say it's so today? Well, hey, I like it. I'm just excited to it's figure like, out what's at the table. You're saying it with a little conviction. Ain't I don't study for these episodes, so until you guys tell me on air, I don't know what we're studying. Right. That's actually me. <laughs> <laughs> I realize who Barabbas really is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. No, okay. So what's at the table is we're continuing our Snake Crusher series during the, the exile, the prophets in the exile. And... Uh, just a quick recap, on the last episode, we finished covering the book of Daniel and Ezekiel, mm. um, and we the very end of that episode was in Haggai, um, where a, a new figure is introduced to us by the name of Zerubbabel, and, and it means, if you break it down, Zerub, uh, Babel, begotten in Babylon, and he is the son of Shealtel, the son of Jeconiah. So he is of the royal lineage of David. Jeconiah is the son of Josiah. So what we had was some news that in like this dark exilic place, right? Daniel's in Babylon. Ezekiel's in Babylon. And in this place of captivity where it seems that all hope is lost, we covered in Daniel um, part of part of God unveiling prophetically what should be expected in the latter days as far as kingdoms. And the, the promised seed through which that kingdom would be introduced is alive and well. Yeah. God, even in the midst of, of chaos and Babel, we talked about this, that literally means confusion, right? In the midst of confusion and chaos and destruction, in the midst of God's judgment, is preserved the seed of mercy. And God is committed to his plan. And so it was good news. And today we're going to move to the prophet Zechariah. Um, so, yeah, that's what's at the table. You guys ready? Yep. Sweet. Let's get it. 
So uh, Zechariah chapter one, I, I just pointed wanted to point this out is also in the second year of Darius's reign. So Zechariah and Haggai or are contemporaries. A lot of these prophets are 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 at this same time. And the chronology, just to be honest, sometimes this chronology is pretty tough to nail down. It's confusing. It takes a lot of time. <laughs> a lot of people online are wrong. Right, right. So, um, yeah, Zechariah 1 uh, sort of gives us the time frame of which then pro- this prophet is called. We, I, I think sometimes we just tend to get the idea maybe that God calls a like a singular prophet like Isaiah, and there's no other prophets in Israel doing any work. When a lot of the times that's not really the case, right? Not all of them get their own book. Not all of them get a lot of showtime on the stage. The stage being, you know, having a book after them or being included in those books specifically by name. But a lot of times they are. Yeah. There's actually a school of the prophets. Yeah. And sons of the prophets. Sons of the prophets. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a lot more. Shout out to our topical episode. (laughs) You know, there's more than one prophet at a time. Yeah. And so sometimes I, d- I just thought that was kind of interesting to point out, like you said, in light of our, our last episode, that a lot of the times it's not just, hey, there's this one guy. And I, and I think maybe the reason that we tend to think that is just because the order in which we read these books in the Old Testament, when we see the names, we, we kind of tend to think that it's first this, then second this, then third this, then fourth this, when sometimes these events are simultaneous at the same time. Your Bible is not necessarily chronological. Right. And and as is the case with a lot of prophets, they'll, they'll have like some some kind of divine counsel scene, right? A, a scene where they see God's judgment throne, right? His throne room or his, his judgment room. And some kind of supernatural experience in that way. But another thing that is common, and we've pointed this out when we first introduced Isaiah and back when we talked to about Samuel and the judges, is one of the primary roles of the prophets is to call the people of God to a place of repentance. And Zechariah chapter 1 starts out um, faithful to that fashion. So Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, said, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. This is Zechariah chapter 1 verse 2. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and evil deeds, but they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But by my words and statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they over not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. So just to point out here, let's see, we've got one, two, three, four, five times that I'm counting in the first six verses of this chapter, God is referred to as quote, the Lord of hosts, heaven's armies. Exactly. That's the first thing that signals to your mind. It, it kind of calls back to mind. Um, some of the Exodus material too, right? Joshua, yeah. And and that's good news for us. If you're in an exilic book and he's the commander of the he, army, he's the commander of the army. He's the commander of the host. What did he bring out of Israel? I'll bring out all of my people by my, my hosts. I will bring out all my hosts. 
this same language gets to be employed, it can evoke a few things. One one is being the 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 commander of heaven's armies, which we also encountered after the exile, right? We read in Joshua he encounters the commander of the Lord's hosts. Whilst the second thing is the hosts sometimes are are is a way to talk about God's people. And and so the first chapter of Zechariah, Zechariah one, we have God referred to five times on six ver- six verses as the Lord of hosts. So this in in your mind should not only bring up all of those elements as far as the exile stuff, which is where we're kind of concentrating, but also invokes like this ideal of the Lord being the Lord of of the spirit world as well. And if we if you remember at the very beginning of this episode, we talked and hearkened back to previous episodes where we've said that a common theme with a lot of the Old Testament major prophets and uh, that are introduced to us is they have like some sort of divine council scene, right? You'll recall uh, Micaiah, the one that Ahab didn't want to come because they never said anything good about him. He, he said, okay, I'll tell you what happened. I seen the Lord on his throne surrounded by his council, right? So he has this council scene. You have Isaiah's, you know, you have Jeremiah's, so on and so forth. And so in, just in chapter one, I just wanted to read this. Verse 7 says, On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, and the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in Glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So just to jump in, there's the scene right there, right? He's not necessarily seeing God at his throne, but what is he seeing? He said, I saw in the night a, a vision slash dream, whichever, you know, whichever it is. But he encounters this angel. He has this supernatural experience. And what is this angel going to do? He has a question about what he's seeing with the angel. And the angel says, I'm going to show you. Mm. So this very first point, you know, this revelation. On Thanksgiving. That's the 24th day of the 11th month. <laughs> hey, yeah. <laughs> kind of worked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on our calendar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> when I read that, it stuck in my brain. So. so check this out. He said, I will show you what they are. Verse 10 says, so the man who is standing among the myrtle trees answered, just jumping in. Man standing amongst the myrtle trees. Sounds a little familiar. That's almost invoking like this Edenic language, right? Where you have these yeah. trees or mountains and the man's a man that's not really a man yeah. that looks like a man about to tell me about what God's doing. Seems like or, the patriarchs. Yes, exactly. So the man who is standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the whole earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? So just jumping in here. Zechariah is hearkening back to what Jeremiah has said, right? When God spoke through Jeremiah and he said, The appointment for your time in Babylon is how long? 
70 years. And it was 70 years of exile was God's judgment, right? Yep. So, and the Lord answered gracious and comforting words. That's an awesome thing to have in the exile, isn't it? Gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts. I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. I I want to jump in here real quick and make one more point. That kind of seems redundant to some readers. Zion and Jerusalem. Aren't Zion and Jerusalem like the same place? Yes and no. Zion, in a way, kind of becomes like the the spiritual concept of Jerusalem. Yeah. Right? The the, the, the city ideal. of the Lord, right? It's exactly. The, it's the place where, where his name dwells or his spirit dwells. And so, that can be Jerusalem. Sure. And in fact, it has been Jerusalem. And in this case, it is. But yeah. it's not exclusively Jer- Jerusalem. Right. And and it's a distinguishment from God, and it's a good distinguishing, uh, uh, distinguishing factor to point out that there's a difference, uh, a distinction between Jerusalem and Zion because they're no longer in Jerusalem. That's right. They're in Babylon. Could it be that, that you could still be a part of Zion and be separated from the land? Exactly. Exactly. And I'm exceedingly, jumping back in, verse 15, I'm exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For a, for a while I was angry, but a little they furthered the disaster. Oof. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts. And the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, says the Lord of hosts. My cities will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. So a good point to note here. God has just pointed out, as we talked about, like in Daniel and the in the past prophet books, he's used other nations, just like he said through Samuel or, or through David, you know, told David. When your son departs, I will strike him with the rods of the blows of men. Yeah. Right. I'm going to use the other nations to judge them. Right. I'm going to, and, and they have, but God has said, now he's angry because all of the world, he sent out his patrol, right? And these angels and horses have patrolled the world and they see everything's at rest, everything's cool. In other words, all these people that God had used as instruments for destruction in Jerusalem decided they wanted to take matters a step further. Yeah, that, that it wasn't justice anymore. Yes. Right? God, God had planned divine justice, and he brought that upon his people for all of the things that they did wrong. And But that idea is, you know, a servant can be cast aside, and, and, in, and Israel is a servant, but Israel is also a son. Right. And so even though a son is chastised, that's still that's still my son, right? You know, and the idea is that, I, that God still cares for His people and He still loves them. And and while I wanted to use you to discipline them, now you you know you've taken that beyond what I have have given. You, you've taken license that wasn't yours to take. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And the end of of chapter one has these horns that have scattered Judah after God promising, "I'm going to again not just join myself to Zion." but also to Jerusalem. I'm going to restore it, and I'm going to build a house on it. And and if you're, again, like we've pointed out in Jeremiah and Isaiah, when the temple was destroyed, that was devastating. Yeah. This is where, the, according to Ezekiel, right, and his vision, you have him in Babylon, and all of the people are like, oh, it's okay, the temple's still there. 
everything's going to be fine. It's not really going to be destroyed. And Ezekiel has this vision, and he said, hey, I've seen the glory of God depart from the temple. That's not good, right? When the Lord leaves the temple, while it's the city is under siege, it makes you think, okay, well, that's the last hope gone, right? Well, God has pretty much put them in, like, <clears throat> the bottom of the barrel. Like, yeah. they have no, they have no pride left that's a great to, way to say no to prophecy at this point. Well, right. and, yeah, and, and it's been a pattern, too, that through Scripture, like, those that God has used to punish his people. Yeah. Don't, don't take joy in that. Right. Because it's coming your way, too. You know, don't don't think that, that you get to partake in that justice and and not get yours, too. Right. That, that should be a herald to anybody who wants to bring justice on another. Yeah. Justice is not really a thing to be had. <laughs> right. And on the back of that promise that God will join himself to Zion and Jerusalem and will again cause it to be prosperous and have a temple, Zechariah chapter 2 starts us out with a vision of a man that has a measuring line. In verse 2, Zechariah says, Then I said, Where are you going? He's talking to the man with the measuring line. And he said to me to measure Jerusalem to see its width and what its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Jumping in. This is Exodus, right? What accompanied the people of God by night? It was a pillar of fire. And what was in the pillar of fire? The angel of Yahweh is in this pillar of fire, and the glory of God is what is leading them while they are in Exodus on their way out of exile. And God is telling them as they return through Zechariah in this vision, it's going to be inhabited without walls and stuff. There's going to be a multitude of people in it. I will be a wall of fire around her. God says, my glory is going to be in her again. That wall of fire? That's, I mean, that's like you said. It's so, it's so Exodus. It's that presence, that manifest presence of 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 Yahweh, right? The thing that protected Moses when he was leading the people across the Red Sea. What was it? It was a pillar of fire. Yes, yes. And and like you mentioned about the the people that have been used as an instrument of judgment. You know, he he proclaims in verse 7, he says, Up, escape to Zion, those who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. Yeah. He told them, flee from the land of the north. So this isn't just Judah he's saying to return. He's saying, everybody, everybody come back. Because where did the northern tribe go to? North, to Assyria, right? But also Babylon is the foe of the north. But he's signaling that, hey, escape away and run to Zion. He says, for the Lord, thus says the Lord of hosts, After his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will shake my hand over them. They will become plunder for those that served him. I don't know about you, but like this seems so relevant. I mean, we're living in a time where Israel is at open war. Right. Right? Like, And who can deny that God has chastised his son? I mean, through the years, it's happened. God has, has done that. And, you know, we, we live in a reality where we are the grafted in, right? We are grafted into the branch that is that is Israel, that is Zion, right? But just 
it just feels so relevant because it says, if you touch them, even if uh, even if I'm angry, even if I'm oh, judging, yeah. mm. if you touch them, you're touching the apple of my eye. Yeah. And it's so good that you say that because verse 11, God says, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day. Yeah. So now it's become a place of Gentiles too. Other yeah. Gentiles are coming to the glory of God that is there. And the chapter ends by God saying, Be silent, all flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. So you get this language again that, that God is angry and he's roused himself from his dwelling, kind of invokes the imagery. God's not just like sitting to kick it. God's coming to get some stuff done, right? Yeah. And it's this, this image of sort of invoking like a holy fear. This next chapter. So good, right? Man. Verse 1 of Zechariah 3 says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem to rebuke you. So the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. To him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity from you and clothed you with pure vestments. Let them put a clean turban on his head, kind of like a crown. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. So the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, If you keep my ways and my charge, you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Here now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men of a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. Here he is again. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, a single stone with seven eyes. I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. So Zechariah 3 gives us this picture that there will be a servant, a branch, Joshua in Hebrew, Almost sounds exactly like Yeshua. It means God's salvation that has this ruling language of a king whilst being associated with a priest, and he's called the branch. In that time frame, God will remove the iniquity of his people, of his land, in one day, and there will be feasts under the vine and fig trees. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, give us a rating, review, and send this podcast over to a friend. If you want to contact us, email us at atthetablepodcastmail at gmail.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and any other podcasting platform. Ask us about merch, recommend topics or interviews, or just tell us what you think of the episode. 
Thank you for listening. Now, let's get back into the show. So in this passage that that we just read in chapter 3, this vision is so chocked full of just crazy imagery. First of all, you have Yeshua, the high priest. So Yeshua is a high priest. He's standing and accusing Satan, rebuking Satan, right? He is exchanging the, the filthy garments for clean ones. He is taking the iniquity off of the people in one day. And he's also called the branch. He is called a stone with seven eyes. While also, the, the, and the result of this whole vision is, is that the people, all, all of the people that, that have lived in exile, they're all going to have a feast together underneath a tree. Mm. <laughs> that is so full of powerful imagery. It, it, it's almost like in this part of, of the mosaic that we're painting, this author, this biblical author is just cherry-picked, you know, a whole pocket full of references to this this Messiah and even made up some new ones, and I don't know if he knows what he's doing or not, but, but even in, in Yeshua, right, the high priest Yeshua, like all of this stuff is coming together to really kind of center down and to focus on this mosaic that we painted this, this, for the Messiah. There's so many elements in this vision. Mm. And I love how, like, you know, the, the next couple of chapters is like a sequence of three visions, and the end of them has the, this speech in verse 12 of chapter 6. It says, And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch. He will branch out from this place and shall build the temple of God. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and sit and rule on his throne. Interesting. And there shall be a priest on his throne, the council of peace between them both. And the crown will be the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Halim, Tobijah, and Jediah, and Hin, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off will come and help build the temple of the Lord. So you get like this again like this weaving of this Joshua guy in with this concept of the branch and in with the concept of building the temple that will not just house God's glory but will house a throne that he sits in and rules the people with and that people that are far off will come and help build this temple which is kind of like what happened with the first temple and they were paid right and, and there were people sending timber down to Solomon and say, hey, take this, you know. Some of them build, build your temple with this. Yeah, <laughs> some of them weren't paid. <laughs> but, but that's a good point because this, like, gives the language is it's peace, right, mixed in with, with Joshua the king. So in Zechariah 8, that, that peace being prophesied just sort of continues in the theme of all nations being brought to the Lord. So he starts it out in saying, The word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I'm zealous for Zion with great jealousy. I'm jealous with, for her with great wrath. So just jumping in kind of like what it started out with, except first zealous for Zion and Jerusalem. And now he says, I'm jealous with great anger too. Thus says the Lord, I've returned to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city. 
the mountain of the Lord of hosts. This mountain of the Lord of hosts is like this council seating language, right? This is where God in, in his, his council in his throne sit. So that God's depicting himself as being planted in Jerusalem, in Zion. Verse 4 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with his staff in hand because of great age. The streets of this city will be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country and bring them to dwell in the middle of Jerusalem. I will, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness. So God starts declaring again about this day of peace where all of them are together. And weaved in is like this language about how God is angry for Jerusalem. So he's hearkening back to what Trey's talked about, like how these nations have extended justice to anger and have pillaged Jerusalem beyond God's divine decree, right? The next chapter picks up on that. Because God starts judging the nations in Zechariah chapter 9. Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, Ashdod, Tyre, Tyre, you know, all of the city-states of the Philistines. You know, he says that Ekron's going to be like the Jebusites, right, which which were completely plundered by David when he invaded Jerusalem. And the the chapter ends in Zechariah. After God saying, hey, I'm going to judge all of these people that have pillaged you, like sort of in this exile time frame, was saying this. Verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout loud, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule will be from sea to sea, and the river, and from the river, so Euphrates, to the ends of the earth. And for you also, because the blood of my covenant is with you. So you have this language of the Messiah, the king of Jerusalem coming, righteous and having salvation, but humble and mounted on a donkey which sounds just very, very different to us from what we have come to expect in the day of the Lord. And it begs to the, the question to mind, because the day of the Lord concept has also been weaving in, woven in with this, you know, sacrifice, sacrificial death from Isaiah, you know. Is there just one time where he comes? Because this has him coming on, on a donkey, humble, and afterwards, the people of Jerusalem, it says, will go speak peace to the nations. So they're not to ride out against all of the nations on war horses. Yeah. But after the Messiah comes, they're going to go proclaim peace. Yeah. Right. This is a very different image than any king we've had. Very. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Solomon kind of had the same idea of you know a king that would experience peace. But here, I mean, the, when you... Keep in mind the audience that's getting this prophetic word from Yahweh. Like, I mean, you've come out of Babylon. You're in right now in the exile still, but under the Medes and the Persians, and with a with a more favorable king, surely. But you're still in the land of pagans, right? And and you're still under judgment. You know, I mean, the whole like 
if you think about it, like the Esther episode, right? Like you think about Esther and the story of Esther, like Mordecai and the Jews, they are severely persecuted, mm. severely persecuted in the lands of the Medes of the Persian. Mordecai that sets out to, to have them all killed. Or not Mordecai, sorry. Um, what's his name? Oh. Naaman. Naaman. Or there Haman. he goes. Naaman. Yeah. 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 Um, Naaman sets out to have them all killed. They're under severe persecution. Um, even even underneath a more favorable king that is that is Darius. You know, Xerxes certainly wasn't as bad as Nebuchadnezzar in some ways, but you still have that that persecution. And when you're receiving this message like that justice is gonna be done, God's gonna go to war against all the nations. All those that, that held you underfoot, he's gonna punish them too. You're not you're not alone in that. You're, they're gonna receive their punishment, and and he's planned good for you. But your demeanor after that should be one of peace. Mm. Your demeanor should not be one that wants to to do what they did and carry judgment into something that is beyond the license that God has given you. Man, that's good. I'd I'd like to jump to um, Zechariah eleven, the chapter nine and ten kind of just weave out like judgment language and stuff, but these are really interesting and restoration. But Zechariah 11, just to kind of introduce as a concept that it, I don't know, check it out. So verse four says, thus says the Lord, my God become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them, slaughter them and go unpunished. Those that sell them say, blessed be the Lord. I have become rich. Kind of interesting regarding the last episode we talked about. A couple of people like that. Blessed be the Lord, I have come rich, and their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they will crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So Zechariah says, verse 7, So I became shepherd, of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. So he starts talking about this story about how Zechariah takes on a job as a shepherd that's doomed to be slaughtered. And I took two staffs. One I named Favor, and the other I named Union. And I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, because I, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. Let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. So jumping in, he, he comes in as a shepherd over a flock that's doomed for slaughter. He has two staffs that he uses to shepherd them. One he names favor, the other union. There are three corrupt shepherds that he fires and runs off, right? And then he says they detest him. These people detest him. So he says, I won't be your shepherd anymore. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. Let those who are left devour the flesh of another. So I took my staff favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I made with all of the peoples. So it was annulled on that day. And the sheep traders who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Hmm. <laughs> then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter, 
and I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. What a strange story. Yeah. That the Lord, in a sense, kind of becomes the shepherd, right? He fires all of the bad shepherds that have been fleecing his flock, who have been judging corruptly, even though his flock is doomed for slaughter. He has two staffs that he shepherds them with. One is favor, one is union. He breaks one, annulling the covenant that he's made with the peoples. And the second one he breaks after he's fired. And the wages that he's paid for his being a shepherd is 30 pieces of silver. After receiving the 30 pieces of silver, he gives the wages to the potter, and he breaks his second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. So in Zechariah 11, you have this language of God being the shepherd and 30 pieces of silver being given as the wage. And if that was cool, check out what comes next. So in Zechariah chapter 12, we have language like, "Look on they will look on him who they have pierced, right? So Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they will mourn for him as one weeps for an only child and weeps bitterly over him, as one weeps over a firstborn on that day, the morning in Jerusalem will be as great as the morning for Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn, each family by itself, the house of David by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and the wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by itself, the family of the Shimeites by itself, and the wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by themselves. So then, in in Zechariah chapter 13, we have language about a shepherd again. In verse 7, he says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will cut off and perish, be cut off and perish, and one-third will survive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one who finds silver and test them as gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people and they will say, you are my God. The very next chapter talks about the coming of the day of the Lord. And it's just crazy that Zechariah's book ends in this fashion, right? You've got these stories about like shepherds. One is the breaking of the staves that we talked about. And then in the next, the chapter after that, is God saying to a sword, strike my shepherd. And when you strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. So after this divine shepherd comes, God will pierce him. But it's not just God that pierces him, right? The previous chapter says they will look on him whom they have pierced. They will mourn. But they are almost the instrument that God uses to pierce his own shepherd. After he pierces that shepherd branch king, the sheep are scattered and the last bit are refined. Well, it's almost like, because every time this happens, it's like a judgment, right? Like it's the same thing with Babylon. Like Mm. Babylon destroys Jerusalem. 
Mm. Although it was Babylon that did it, God did it through Babylon. So it's kind of peculiar how the shepherd is almost being judged, but also yeah. the people right, are the ones doing it. Yeah, uh, and I mean, of course, we're trying to highlight a few, you know, a few words in this, uh, in this book, you know, little little phrases, little um, motifs, right? Uh, Thirty pieces of silver. Um, they will look on those whom they pierced, right? The branch, the stone, the king, the high priest, righteous robes for filthy robes, like this exchange. Joshua it, will bring salvation. Yeah, Yeshua will bring the Lord's salvation. He will build the temple. Yeah. And right after that, you know, there's the 30, the 30 pieces of silver and those looking on whom they've pierced. And that the one, the ones doing the piercing seemingly to be, you know, both they're both the perpetrators and also they're the ones that mourn, right? Afterwards mm-hmm. it says they will mourn. Every house will mourn. It. If, of course, you know, from our side of history, looking at that. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah looking yeah. at that, you're like, Oh my God! There could only be one. <laughs> there could only be one. Yeah, <laughs> but straight up, I mean, we're looking Man. at that. We're like, gosh, that sounds so familiar. I mean, yeah. right? The, all of these are going to be used in another story that's going to be told, and that's a lot of times, unfortunately, the way that prophecy works is the people that are that are living in this and hearing all of this stuff. To them, I'm sure it just sounds like, okay, yeah, we're getting a branch, we're getting a new temple. Yeah, iniquity's being done away with, great. You know, I don't know who the shepherd guy is, but unfortunately that brother's got to get pierced, you know. Yeah. It they, You don't see that kind of weight until you're on the backside of it. But it harkens like it. It, it kind of ties into this matrix web, right? Yeah. It calls to mind Isaiah. Yeah. For he himself has borne our transgressions, right. for he was bruised for our transgressions, pierced for our iniquities. Right. And who was being pierced there? It was the branch. Right. It was Isaiah's branch. And now Zechariah is telling us this branch named Yahshua, yeah. Yeshua. Who is the high priest. It's going to build the temple. There's this concept of one that's going to bring salvation, building a new temple that will house God's glory and bring peace. And that after he's, he's struck and all that after he is struck, stricken, <laughs> struck <laughs> after he's stricken by God. Those that are left that are being refined like fire will be sent out to preach peace to the nations yeah. in the midst of a difficult time. Right. And and that's always hard to grasp a concept of peace in the middle of a difficult time. Right. Or or victory coming by means of piercing and judging an innocent thing. But isn't that what we've seen in Exodus? This spotless lamb, this thing that doesn't have any blemish on it. But if you paint the doorpost of your house with it, yeah. it protects you from the destroyer. And it's funny to me that the ones that are left, right, two-thirds are going to be destroyed. <laughs> yeah. That concept of the destroyer, destroyer kind of comes to mind. Two-thirds are going to get destroyed, and the last third that's left is going to be refined like fire. Yeah, Like God's going to, just like the exile, a lot of David's descendants were killed. A very small amount was saved and refined and purified and preserved. Well, I think that's the message to these people in exile is in every generation, you know, that, we, that we've gone through. We're going through all of these generations of people in exile or whether they're in the land or not. We're just getting little pieces added to this story. Mm. And it's telling them what to look for, right? I mean, that's the whole point of prophecy 
you know, there's, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, there seems to be an immediate fulfillment of, of prophecy, right? You know, there is going to be this guy here, but then also an expectation. And for the people especially, like, okay, you come out of this story for the next generation that finds themselves in a similar, you know, place. Mm. What should you be looking for? Right. Right? And the idea is is that as God slowly adds pieces to this puzzle, that eventually there's going to come a generation that should be able to put all these together. Yes. And arrive at a complete puzzle and say, this is Messiah. This is David's branch, Jesse's root. You know, this is all of these things. This is the the shepherd who's got to be pierced. It reminds me of a couple of scenes that we'll come to much later in the text, right? And one of them is one character interacting with another and she tells one of the characters, this other character tells the other, when Messiah comes, he will explain all these things. Yeah. And it calls to mind this matrix of ideas we've been given. And it is hard to follow. Peace, destruction, peace, destruction, peace, destruction, peace, destruction. Messiah comes, destroys all of the wicked, judges everything, but brings peace. And he comes on a donkey. And it's, okay, but how can you do all of those like that? Yeah. It makes sense of this to us. And and it is, you know, to be fair, if you're living in their time, I mean, we're fleshing out all, all this stuff in hindsight, which is always 2020. For us, there can only be one. And for them living in the midst of it, you've got this, like, matrix of ideas floating in your head. I need to be redeemed. So sin needs to be dealt with, with me. I, my soul needs to be saved. I need a ruler that will rule righteously because neither I nor any other human will do that. And as long as this world is entrusted in its fallen state to us, to our care while we are in our fallen state, it will never be good. Yeah, It will never be Eden. Only the branch can bring that. You know what I find interesting about all of these stories that we read, and, and we see it ring true in this, it seems like it is always postured. The prophecy is always postured that the people who are looking will find yes you know the kings you know and and it goes on into into the the future that we'll get to king herod king you know all of these these kings they don't have any need for a messiah they're Mm. not looking for a messiah they're not the poor oppressed people who are living in exile looking up at god thinking when are you going to come right but the people that are living in that the people that god is concerned for that remnant that he's refined through fire, they are. They're live, they live in this desperation where they're constantly looking for, where's the branch? When, you know, yeah, we're being judged for what we did wrong, but you said that you were going to exchange our filthy robes. Mm. You were going to take away the iniquity of your people. You said you were going to do that, so when is that going to happen? What, where, do, you know, where is the branch of David? Man. Where is that? The people that are at the bottom, the people that that oftentimes, right, that they're not living their best life now. Those people are the people that are listening to prophets and they're looking for this. They're looking for salvation to come. The people at the top never are, typically. You know, the the, the, the people at the top are enjoying lavish life and they're not, they're not looking or needing for a Messiah. And right. so they never find one. And I find that true, and I, we're going to find it even more true the further we get down this road. Yeah, and uh, it's it's sad because at least as far as the the prophets and stuff, um, this may quite likely be our our next our our last episode before the New Testament. Although 
Malachi's not quite in the chronology we like, I felt it necessary to point out um, and sort of dovetail it on the end of Zechariah because of the way that Zechariah talks about the righteous shepherd, the righteous branch engaging with the corrupt, right? And this is exactly what Malachi, you know, the prophet tells us to expect about Messiah. One of the things he tells us to do, the first two chapters of, of Malachi are God cor- are rebuking and saying that his messenger that comes, the Messiah that comes, will rebuke Levi for corrupt leadership, for corrupt priesthood. Just a quote, you know, verse uh, uh, verse 7 here, or verse 8 says, but you have, of Malachi 2, but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why are we faithless to one another then, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless. This language goes on and on and on. He talks about how they cover the, the, the altar with tears but then are faithless to their companion. And he talks about this, this corrupt priesthood and in that way throughout Malachi. It's like you're here paying all of this lip service to God's covenant when it comes to your priestly duties, but you show no compassion to your neighbor yeah. and you're faithless to them and you don't care for them and you cause them to stumble because of your, because of your instructions. And so he says, you know, then I will draw near to you for judgment in Malachi 3, 5. I will be a swift witness against the the sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely, those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, yeah. those that don't care anything about the Gentiles and the sojourner among them, those who do not fear me. He talks about how they rob them. And I love how in this language about the day of the Lord, Verse 5 of Malachi 4 says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet. Yeah. Wait, isn't he already dead? Verse 2 says, I will, or chapter 2 of Malachi says that I will send before me my messenger. Yeah. And who can withstand his coming? For he is like the refiner's fire. And then in, in later in this book, in this chapter 4, he says, For I will send to you Elijah. Mm. You're right. He is dead. But he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Dude, and, and yeah, and that messenger, I just wanted to point this out, like the the textual um, variance between the way that the Hebrew text and the Greek text will, will word that Isaiah passage, right? One will say, for his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father. Well, the Septuagint says it in Greek as, and he shall be called Messenger of the Great Council. And what does Angel of Yahweh mean? Yahweh's messenger, right? Like, so he says, like, this angel of Yahweh, in a sense, is coming. He is like a refiner's fire. He's, <laughs> he's, he's like soap that purifies. And what is he coming to do? Yeah. He's coming to engage and purify you who have corrupted the priesthood. Yeah. And, and afterwards it says, Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem, they will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, mm. as in the former years. 
Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift witness against the sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely and those who oppress. That messenger is the is the one who is going to be both mm. the purifier and that he's going to make things good and right again, but also purification is bad news if you're if you're not gold. <laughs> Man. If you're an impurity, you get burned up. You get yes. burned out. Mm. And the sun of righteousness rising with healing in its wings, you know. Yeah. Man, there's this beautiful imagery laid throughout Malachi, but he's really calling us, the Lord is telling, and it's good news for the people who are being oppressed by a priesthood that they need to be operating with <laughs> to some extent, right? Yeah. If you have to go to the temple to make sacrifices, but the priests are extorting you and on your way in and out, and causing you to stumble in instruction. You need a Savior, not only just to come deliver you from your own sin, but you need right instruction. Yeah. You you need a, a go-between, an intercessor, a, meteor, a mediator, sorry, that will be faithful to God's covenant with you yeah. and will not depart from it for you, any reason whatsoever. Like like a bride, you need headship. Yes, you need, you need leadership. You need a groom. You know, you Jerusalem, God calls them ulti- over and over, uh, both Judah and Israel, you know, two sisters. Like, you, you're the you're supposed to be virgins. You're supposed to be my bride. Mm. And, and that's what they have need for is is a husband to, who will lead them and, and who will provide that headship. And, you know, like you said, we're coming to, the, like, today we end, we end our, our journey through the Old Testament, and we're about to start a, a new journey. And I just want to call to remembrance all of those all of those motifs, the yes. suffering servant, right? Isaac, that comes from Genesis to Isaiah, that idea of one who is righteous who suffers on the behalf of one who isn't. Mm. He's got to be, a, you know, of the lineage of Judah, right? He's got that's that's from Genesis on. He's he's got to come from the line of David. I mean. All of these motifs are uh, have stacked up. He's got to be one who's going to be ruled justly, but then again, he'll be pierced. So he's going to be king, but he's got to be a priest. He's going to be a branch. He's going to be a stone. He's got to be all of these things. And we have this this great motif wrapped up and around, and all of this expectation built through through exile and exodus, exile and exodus, mm-hmm. exile and exodus, where God both judges sin, but then has mercy on his people. And it's all bringing us down to a crux, and then we leave off at Malachi. In the, in this last book of the Old Testament, and just a spoiler alert: after this, God seemingly is silent. Yeah, like you know, there there is ex, there's Exodus from exile. You know, the the Jews are sent; they rebuild the temple. They they come out of of exile in in Persia you know, with the Medes and the Persians. And there is, for a time, a, a rebuilding of the land like he promised that there would be. He told him, you know, you're going to go out. I'm not going to leave you here. You know, I, I was angry for a time, but now I've turned my face towards Jerusalem and all things will be well with her and I'm going to do all these things. And then, silence. Mm. Maybe, I, and no promises. I, maybe one of these days we should do an episode on the, the quote-unquote 400 years of silence. In between, yeah. Just kind of give like a historical account, you know. Yeah. Um, because we know, like you said, whenever they come out from Persia, well, Daniel said, you know, 
that this man clothed in linen told him, I'm going to go and return and fight with the king of per- the prince of Persia, and then after the prince of Grecia will come. And then we're given this vision of a statue. And even after Grecia, we have two more kingdoms. Right. And so then there's this thought, you know, if you're in this 400 years, we call it 400 years of silence because seemingly no no voice of God is coming through the prophets right. from that time to the time of where we pick up on the Gospel of Matthew. But there's still a lot that happens that contributes yes. to the climate that is... And Messiah expectation. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, they get conquered by yeah. the Greeks, yeah, and then they break free from the yoke of the Greeks. And then what happens right after that? Through, one, through a leader that descends from Judah. From Judah. And this is where we'll pick up next week. Is they're going to, they're going to get, find themselves once again conquered, a conquered people living on, in subjugation to a pagan foreign ruler, mm. and like we've seen every time, when from that exile to Exodus, there's a Messiah that has to come. Yeah, and we've seen this expectation build and mount and build and mount and, and get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. As we go down the statue, right, the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar, you're going down all those kingdoms, and, and this it continues to big, build, 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 build. Well, next week we're going to get into, as we start the Gospel of Matthew, where they find themselves in, in that kingdom, right? They're conquered by the Romans. They're subjugated. They're in the land, but they don't. I mean, there's no priesthood. There's no legitimate kingship. It's all instituted by a foreign government. And and that's where we'll pick up next week. Good stuff. Well, man, what a journey. How do you guys feel about it? All the way through the Old Testament. Honestly, heartbroken. You know, I know, I'm sure you guys will resonate. I'm by no means disparaging the quality of what God uses us to do, but that this book is just packed with so much that I feel it's impossible for any man to really do it justice. Yeah. You know, and... uh it's kind of bittersweet. It makes me want to start over again. Go back like, through it and find all the things. Like, that oh man, there's we didn't have time so for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For but for you know for for us and you know what what God has called us to and what He's empowered us to. And boy, I'm excited to get into this next chapter. Next week too. kicks it off, dude. Yeah, and we're uh, gonna try to get some some guests lined up that will absolutely help us by God's grace and by His Spirit knock this out of the park. It's gonna be fun. Well, I feel. I feel like. Let me just say this: like this was Act One. Yeah, and the curtains <laughs> have just like closed, right? And then when we pick up Act Two, and yeah. it's the final act, you know. Yeah. And I'm I'm excited for that like grand unveiling. Maybe it's, we need to call it Season Two. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's heartbreaking, but it's exciting. Yeah. It, it is. Uh, I know that for me. Um, like you said, there's so there's so much that could be added. There's so much more that could be said. But also, like, I feel like what we've done here is unique. Yeah, I don't I don't feel like it's been done at least in this platform in this format by anybody else. And and I'm thankful for that. And I'm I'm pleased with that. I'm excited about the future. But I mean, this Snake Crusher series has got to be the longest series that's ever existed, other than the Bible itself. I mean, my gosh, I feel it like we've like been doing been it forever, but. We're now like it's like you said, like it's been the building, and now I'm ready for yeah the result. I, too long have I fought. Too long, <laughs> yeah, too long. <laughs> but I, I've fought that desire to go right. there, and I've had to choke that back. Now we're gonna go and, there. And I'm excited to do that. 
What about Go you? Go where? What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> That's Act 2. I'm ready for the New Testament. I'm ready to be. It's exciting. Well, I, I know that uh, in closing, I just want to say this. Thank you for to all of our listeners who have tagged along and, and who have went on this journey um, with us. Uh, stay belted in because it's going to get good. I'm excited for that. Um, but just it's it's very humbling to have all of them here with us and to, and to have the listeners that we do, the audience that we do, and um, just thankful. Yes. So, Well, from all of us at, at the table, that's Act 1. Uh, we appreciate you listening in. We love your support. Um, pray that it's blessed you. Stay tuned for some topical episodes in Act 2. And so a face seed into our ministry. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's free. Catch y'all in Act 2. Yeah, that, that is a good point. That, like, we do need to, I know that we just closed, but that is a good point. Like, I, I do hope that our audience sees that desire to always keep our content free. Yeah, I mean, even to this point, we've not done any advertisement. Even though we've had the offers, we've not done any advertisement. And I, I hope that, I hope that that gets through, like the desire from all of us here to provide what what we're trying to provide, um, free of charge to anyone who wants to listen. But also, you know, as of yet, we we have not had to resort to to advertisement or anything like that. We've been able to be free and clear and to go. And God's provided us a studio. He's provided to it, uh, you know, us with time and resources to do this, and it's it's not it's not easy, it's not quick, and it's not cheap. Mm. But I'm just so I'm so pleased and so thankful, and I hope our audience um, is blessed by that as well. Yeah, I think ultimately we love to be a part of the process of connecting your love to Scripture back to your love for God. Where, it, where it's not just like this intellectual exercise puffs up your, your brain, man. You just get all this information hoarded up that not everybody else has, but that it rouses the, the affection in your heart and in your mind for the God that has wrote it. Yeah. And it showcases his faithfulness to you and causes you to look into him more. So I know that. Anyway, we could land this plan out plane all day. We love y'all. God bless you from all of us. That is what's at the table. This is Pastor Kevin O'Connor, and you're listening to At The Table Podcast. This is Dylan from Jamaica, and you're listening to... At the Table Podcast. Hello, this is Dr. Kent Hovind of Dinosaur Adventureland and with the At the Table Podcast. Hey, this is Savannah Donaldson and you're listening to At the Table Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode of At the Table Podcast. We hope it blessed you and we hope it taught you something. Until next time, thank you so much and God bless.